It's on page 1043 of my Bible. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. In Hebrews chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, it says, For this reason we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect, and I want you to underline that last phrase, so great a salvation. We talked about that salvation this morning. Many of you did in your Sunday school lessons. Testimonies are different. But I want to tell you, the changed life may have had different events and different people in there leading you to Christ but the person of Jesus Christ is the one who changed you so great a salvation after it was at first spoken through the Lord it was confirmed to us by those who heard let's go to the Lord in prayer Father I just want to thank you for this day I want to thank you for your love and your grace and I want to thank you for just blessing us through the Sunday school hour uh, with your word and with your lesson. And I thank you for the people that attended and now for the worship. I pray that the uh, music has helped prepare our hearts for the, the word and the message. And I pray that you'll just take this message and you'll use it for your honor and your glory. That's what it's all about. Draw us closer to you, God. That's what needs to be done so that we can serve you faithfully the way that we should to further your kingdom here on earth. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a man I knew of who was uh, following another man back to harbor. He had kind of gotten lost in his barrens, and they didn't have a radio in uh, either of the boats. And so in turn... They, you know, he was having to depend upon him to get back. Well, the problem was it was getting dark. And he was following him and trying to stay close to him because there was dangerous water. And so as it got darker and darker, there was another problem that arose. And that problem was the village on the hillside and around the bend and all, all lit up with little homes and their lights. So he was trying to keep his eye on the boat in front of him that had a light that was trying to take him and keep him from dangerous waters. But all of a sudden, there were a lot of lights ahead. And it got awful dark out there on the water. So he said, I know how I can stay safe. I will look for the moving light. 
Well, that was good, except unfortunately there were other boats in the water with lights, and they were moving. And so he began to drift into treacherous water, into a difficult and dangerous place. And so what happened was the one in front saw that he was drifting away, noticed this. He had been trying to keep his eye on that boat, so he came to the rescue. And he helped him to get back to the harbor or the land safely. You know, if you think about it, how great a salvation we have, it seems like it would be easy, wouldn't it? If it's so great for us to stay on course, to be faithful, to be obedient, to enjoy our Christian walk, to live the abundant life, because we have this hope in Jesus Christ. But just like this person in the boat, in our world, we have many competing lights, don't we? Many competing lights that can cause Christians, even Christians, to drift. And before they know it, they're drifting into dangerous waters. This year, 2020, not talking about TV program, 2020. This year, I want us to think, start out, begin with this message, this thought, how great a salvation. You say, well, I know about this great salvation. Well, that's good. Have you ever drifted? The deadly danger of drifting and neglect is so real. The same thing is what happens over and over again in the lives of believers. The Hebrew writer is writing to the Hebrew Christians who are much like you and I. The writer of Hebrews, what he's doing here is warning believers that it is possible to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and to commit your life to him, be born again, be forgiven for your sins. Man, just think about it. How great a salvation to be changed from within and through neglect, through neglect, begin to drift dangerously along in our Christian life. It's possible that someone is in this very service today that's in that condition. I've been in that condition. The condition of neglecting such a great salvation. Just look at this verse or these verses and look at so, how many times he uses the pronoun we. He's talking to Christians. Now what, just think about it. I want, I want to throw this question out to you. What are some of the lights that might draw you away from such a great salvation? Think about it. 
what are some lights that might draw you away from such a great salvation? Now take, for instance, age. I've gotten a little bit older. Not much, but a little bit older since I've been here. You see, one such light of as simple and as, as natural as age can draw us away. We can be an older Christian. We can have gone to church a long time. We talked about that, the different testimonies. Some of them this morning as we gave testimony, some of them were saved as a young child. And now they're in their 60s or 50s, and that's a long time. Others were saved at an, a, a, a later day. I was saved when I was going into my senior year in high school, 17 years old. And as we, we look at this, we see that, you know, we can keep our appearance up as older people in the sense of, looking fine on the outside but drifting on the inside you may be semi-faithful today and you may even be able to talk a good game you know you you may be able to put a put forth a walk before other people an appearance before other people that gives them the impression that hey man you are a fine Christian and morally you may be just fine but inside there's something that's lacking you have drifted so that it has affected you but not only that do you know when it affects you it affects other people especially your family that is closest to you and then another such light is familiarity. Familiarity with the truth. Oh, this really can... I mean, nothing wrong with being familiar with the truth. But how many of you sitting out there have sat out there on Sunday morning, Sunday night, or been in your Sunday school class and said, I've heard that story before. In other words, we haven't prepared our hearts before we came in. You know, I, I visited a church this past week while, while we were on vacation. Preacher preached for an hour and 15 minutes. Hour and 15 minutes. Music lasted for 40 minutes. I didn't see one person get up out of their seat and leave. He was a conversationalist. He wasn't a yeller. He wasn't an enthusiastic type. He was just a conversationalist. And he preached, talked to us for an hour and something, hour and 15 minutes, hour and 30 minutes. And do you know... The message I had heard, matter of fact, you're going to hear that passage, not his message, but you're going to hear the passage when we continue on with uh, Matthew. It was familiar. I knew it. 
And here I am a preacher, and I said, Lord, do not let me drift. Because why? I have that temptation too. I've heard the story. And others in there had. And do you know I heard, I saw older people and younger people get up and go to the altar, and the service lasted even longer. The one thing, though, that bothered me about it all was, and he asked me afterwards what I thought, and I said, I don't mean to be negative because I'm not telling you change anything, but the leader was fine. He's a performer that did the music, but I said, you sang the music that goes over and over and over again. I said, and if you want to do that, that's fine. I said, he's trying to get the people involved, and I know we call it 7-Eleven, this type thing, but I said, I never saw the word Jesus mentioned in any of the songs. Never saw, it, it said him, and it said Lord, but anybody can be Lord. Anybody can be him. Now, as a Christian, I could pick out the music, and he wanted me to be honest, and he said, really? And I said, yeah. I said, but you know, hey, that's what your people like. And God works through it. I know he worked through your message. I said, that's fine. So we can be very familiar with the truth. And don't take me wrong. It, 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 there's nothing wrong with being very familiar with the truth. The problem is it really depends on the Christian, really, and his choice. What he's going to do with it. If he's not walking with the Lord, then there's going to still be a, a struggle and he's got to, and she, he or she needs to pray and say, God, please speak to me because I don't care who the preacher is or the teacher is. The scripture you will probably, if you've been going to church, have heard one time or another, probably many times. The purpose is not for us to come up with some neat little truth. The purpose is not for us to come up with some neat little interesting thing or neat little interesting story. The purpose of us is to be faithful and allow the Spirit of God to do His work. But that comes from your part as far as whether you're going to be receptive or not. And it came from my part also as a believer Sitting there, God, I want you to speak to my heart. I've heard this before. I know the passage. I've heard it many times. And for an hour and 15 minutes, I want you, or 20 minutes, I want you to speak to my life. Guess what? For one time, I allowed him to speak to my life and my heart. And I didn't say, well, I know that message. I've heard that before. And look at something else. What about the, the light of busyness? I mean, we begin to become overwhelmed with the cares of the world. And those cares of the world become like snowflakes. Snowflakes can be beautiful. But too many of them, when you're out in them, and you're away from any transportation and any food and anything else, they can overwhelm you and they can be dangerous. 
So we see that the cares of the world can keep us from the excellencies of Christ. People, this is one thing that really is working in overdrive today. The cares of the world, the different things of the world, we become so busy with those things that we neglect so great a salvation. We drift. In a world where there's so many things that are competing for our attention, it's easy to lose our bearings. When this happens, the anchor is loosed and the winds come and suddenly we're on the rocks and we're shipwrecked. The writer is giving us a warning that we must pay attention to what we have heard lest we drift. What is it that we've heard? In verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 2, we see how how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. The thing that we have heard is Jesus Christ and the great salvation that he's offered to us and for us. What does the word escape refer to in this verse? In the Old Testament, the law was given by an angel in verse, and, and it was unalterable. Unalterable, used in the Old Testament that way, means it refers to being binding. And so if someone broke the law that God gave through an angel, they were punished. And at times the punishment was death. If the results for disobeying the law was that binding, the writer of Hebrews here is is saying how much more inescapable is the person who ignores so great a salvation if we ignore the truth and don't pay attention to the truth then we will drift away he says salvation is great and we need to continue in it that's why i'm talking about our salvation the experience this morning uh, through sunday school the testimony I told them your past should be about like this. Your present, when you accepted Christ and what's going on, should be the rest of the page, really. And then what you hope for in the future. So this salvation is great. The awesomeness of our salvation is what we need to heed to and and pay close attention to. And the writer gives us some reasons for the uh, uh, this and so the the reason for neglecting uh, for not neglecting so great a salvation we should also because of the proclamation of the Lord who proclaimed it it wasn't a person yes the prophets talked about it yes uh, G, uh, you know the disciples preached it but who proclaimed it who brought the word to us it was the word himself Jesus Christ Salvation is great because of who proclaimed it. It was not brought by just mere men. Yes, they proclaimed it, but it was given to them by God. It was brought not by an angel, but it was brought by God himself, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Sometimes, you know, we'd love to, to talk with someone of importance, but those people of importance, they just don't have time for it. It may be a family member. It may be someone at work, whatever. But I want to tell you, that's not the case with Jesus Christ, the most important person of all. He always has time to listen to us. We we read the scripture says that he has come to seek and to save 
those who are lost. He's also said, I've come to give life and to give it more abundantly. He came to die on the cross for our sins, that those sins might be forgiven so that we might inherit, inherit eternal life. And it is so great a salvation because it was proclaimed to us and demonstrated to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the Savior of the world. God does not lie. So we have the promise here of the assurance of what God said. Salvation is so because God said it. What he preached was fulfilled. He suffered and he died and he rose again so that we would not have to face eternity apart from him, which is hell. He has provided a place for us. Sometimes we, we just get depressed. We feel taken advantage of. We feel criticized. We feel that physical hurt, tempted to do wrong. We feel sick, suffer mentally. We're lonely, unfulfilled. We're talked about, gossiped about, overlooked, unloved. But I want to tell you, the place that the Lord has prepared for us None of those are true. None of those exist. Not only has the Lord prepared a place for us where we can experience all the wonderful things of eternity, but he is going to be there with us for all eternity. And that's the great thing about it. He has promised us. And he's also promised us that while we're here, even though we might experience some of those things, he is there to help us experience the more blessed life that he offers you may say what I'm feeling right now is I'm feeling unfulfilled I'm feeling hurt taken advantage of lonely whatever it might be the reason is because we're living in a sin sick world and those things will be there but he says that he's come to give us life and give it to us more abundantly the problem we have is we let lights in this world distract us and before we know it we lose our bearings, our moorings, and we drift into danger. God has said this is a great salvation where he has provided it for us to help us through those times and to keep us from being hurt. Second of all, it's confirmation by the disciples. This is great salvation because it has been confirmed to us by his disciples. In verse 3, after it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. Who were those who heard? Those who heard were the disciples, the men he chose. They weren't men that, that uh, we would have chosen perhaps, but they were men who God saw that he could use. And that's why he's, as you have come to know him, he's chosen you so that you can be used by him to be conformed to the image of Christ. So God's ways are not our ways, but we can learn from him and we can walk to please him and do as he would have us to do. Why did he choose the most unlikely men to believe him? He chose these because he knew how great a salvation it was, and they would know once they received it, how great a salvation. Now I want to ask you something. Do you know how great a salvation it is that you've received, if you've received it? 
Do you know what it's done for you? Do you know what Christ did to make that possible? Do you know that all you had to do is receive it by faith? That it couldn't be by works because if it was works, you would always be unsatisfied trying to improve yourself and do better to get to heaven. You wouldn't be able to make it. Always making these New Year's resolutions and breaking them. But it was because of God and his complete work on the cross that you were able to be saved, forgiven for your sins, be born again, have the Holy Spirit to come to live within you, to walk in a newness of life, being able to see things as you've never seen them before, being able to experience things as you've never been able to experience before, seeing things that the world laughs at, that you once laughed at probably, that you did not believe in, now you believe. God has done that for you. Do you understand how great a salvation it is? I think if we will realize that, and if we'll acknowledge it, then it will help us in carrying out the great commission and living the Christian life before a world that needs to see it lived the way that we should live it. By the power and the grace of God. We see the message was guaranteed to us by the disciples who heard it and experienced it. You remember Peter as they were growing and we'll talk about this and, and seeing Christ and seeing him perform all these miracles and not understanding like we understand today because they didn't have everything that we had today, the completed word of God and, and the Holy Spirit living within them permanently. But we do see that Peter was asked by Jesus, who do you say I am? And he had heard what others were saying and Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He was transformed. He saw the Lord. He says, you're not able to see this except by God. God has made this possible. Jesus, he saw as the Son of God. John said, you are the resurrection and life. Everyone who believes in you through, or though that they were dead, they shall live. And whoever lives and believes in him shall never die. Matthew wrote in the book in the New Testament, emphasizing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, telling us over and over again as we've been looking at the book of, of Matthew. And so now as we come here, we see that the Lord has said, okay, they've confirmed it. This is how great a salvation, they've experienced it. And then he moves on, he says, not only that, but it's been certified. How did God certify? How did God authenticate Jesus Christ was his son? How did he authenticate the death of Jesus as being sufficient for our sins? He did it with the resurrection. All other world religions, they go to a certain place to worship their, their former leader who has died. But we worship a resurrected Lord. We don't go to a grave where his body is any longer. He has arisen. 
Here he's talking about the greatest miracle of all, the miracle of the resurrection. Jesus said that he would be living, leaving, but he would send another one like him who was to be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then comes uh, to live in our hearts and our lives, and we can see the authentication of what has happened because the Holy Spirit, as, as he's been given to us as a gift, as we believe, it all becomes alive. And it's all possible because of not what we've done, but because of what God has done. He has made it all possible. He has certified it. He has authenticated it. And the re- but the sad thing about it is there is a result from neglecting so great of salvation. Are you ne- neglecting it today? Now, I didn't say rejecting it. I said neglecting it. If we have lost our moorings with God's great salvation, then what's happening is we're drifting away. And we're drifting into dangerous ground. Now, whatever it takes and whatever drastic move or or maybe not so much drastic move needs to be taken, we need to get anchored back in Christ. We have pulled up our anchor, not that we've lost our salvation and moved uh, out of Christ and eternal life. What I'm talking about is we have moved away. And the point is, is that the person then begins to drift into dangerous grounds. It's a self-centered type of life instead of a Christ-centered life. I'm talking about the loss of God's blessings on earth and the loss of his reward one day in heaven. Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6, You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. Notice this is talking about a son. Not some foreigner, a son. Not someone that's not your child, a son. When we are disciplined, we need to adhere to it. When God convicts us, we need to adhere to it. We need to get back. We need to anchor back down whatever it might take. You never have to worry about the discipline being unfair from God. It may be unfair from from our bosses, from other people, but you don't have to worry about it being unfair from God. He knows exactly what needs to to happen. Discipline also will engender that respect. People who aren't disciplined are people who later show disrespect. I'm sorry. For others and especially for older adults you'll have a generation or two or three that will not have respect for others because they never were disciplined out of love growing up all Christians receive some kind of discipline but there is more severe discipline that is given to those that are really rebellious Christians How can we tell the difference? I believe one way is how a believer handles handles his discipline. James 1 verse 2 says, Consider it all joy when you go through these testings that they produce endurance and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect lacking in nothing. I think that those that are really truly rebellious will 
gripe and grumble and complain about everything that goes wrong in their life and, and do it all the time. And, and sometimes that's discipline from the Lord and they don't even recognize it and they're just all the time griping about it. God's discipline comes from a, a, an array of forms. It may come physically, mentally, financially, any number of ways. What God's discipline is, one of the main ways is unanswered prayer. If you're in God's will and you're, you know, uh, you, you're facing trial and you call on God, he'll give you the wisdom to help you while you're in the midst of that trial and through that trial. And how to handle it. James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. The one who's in a trial and is losing his moorings with God, neglecting so great a salvation, this person is the one who will waver in his prayers. James 1, 6 and 7, But let him ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like a surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. You see, spirit, a spirit-filled Christian is one who will pray whatever God tells him to do. And he will submit to God's will. He'll listen to God. Now it doesn't mean that he'll always enjoy it or like it but at the moment, but he will do it. A wavering Christian is one who is losing his moorings and one who will debate about doing God's will. He will question God. He will debate whether God's will is right or not, what, whether he wants to do it or not. And also a, a believer that is neglecting so great a salvation will lose assurance of their salvation. They'll start wandering away. They'll start forgetting about what God said. They'll start forgetting about that God's salvation was once and for all. That it was permanent. That he gives us this hope and this assurance. And as we come to this... Also, it seems like I believe God gives every believer a guardian angel. God also has his protection about us. Not just with the angel, but protection. And I believe that these passages and others teach us that that protection is released. Teach us that it is released. Now, does it mean we lose our salvation? No. But I mean, we're going to go through things that we otherwise wouldn't have to go through. Because he says, okay, you want your will? You do it. But he'll even work through that. He doesn't give up on us. He'll even work through that to bring us back to where we need to be. Now, maybe your situation isn't as drastic as been explained, but Maybe you have begun to wander. It can be and it can become that way. For whatever reason, for whatever light that's pulled you away, what we're to do is we're to remember, we're to repent, and we're to return. We're to remember 
where we lost our moorings. Admit it. Repent of it. Repent and stop wandering and return and depend upon his guidance. Are you wandering today? I'm not talking about maybe as drastic as as getting into some sin that has just torn you apart, your family and everything else, but I am talking about wandering away from God. I'm talking about God not being, that, that salvation not being or seeming as great as it once did. I'm talking about your time with the Lord doesn't seem to be as important as it once did. You're drifting. Well, God says, I haven't moved. And I'll show you the light back if you will be willing to come. But it's your choice. I'm moving the waves so that they'll get rockier. So that you can't make it anywhere on your own, except in dangerous water. But I'll turn those waves the other way and pull you in, close to me, if you'll just allow me to. Let's bow our heads in prayer.